0: Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll be in 1 Samuel 15, concluding our our look at King Saul today. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, thank you for your word. And not only for just the Bible, but also the, the theology and the themes that we see running through it. Thank you as we're going to see today and as we, we just sung that, that you're a God that is faithful. Meaning you keep your word, you keep your covenant promises. May that be good news to us today. Knowing that, that you're a God that not only is good and forgiving and merciful, but you make promises and you keep them. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you also for your word because we know that we need something outside of us. That when we look within, we can so easily deceive ourselves because of our sin nature. We can justify things. We can compromise. We can hide things in our hearts. So the answers are not looking at the child within, but looking at the God outside of us. So Lord, thank you that we have truth that is outside of us and we can see it today. Lord, I pray that uh, that your spirit would come and that he would do the work that really only he can do of, of changing hearts, uh, of helping us turn and repent from things and turn to and believing other things. Lord, may your spirit come and, and convict us where we need conviction, encourage us where we need encouragement, giving us new eyes of faith to see where we are blinded. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Parents, have you ever read Francis Chan's uh, book, Halfway Herbert, to your kids? Let me read a portion of it. Herbert Hallweg was seven and a half years old, three and a half feet tall, 55 and a half pounds heavy. He had lots of friends, but none of them called him Herbert. Instead, everyone called him Halfway Herbert. This was not because his house was halfway in California. It was not because his dog was half bulldog or half poodle. That would be weird. Sadly, it was because Herbert did everything halfway. Halfway Herbert never put his whole heart into anything. He never really tried. Something was missing in halfway Herbert. When Herbert brushed his teeth, he started at the top, but he was too lazy to finish the bottom. He spent a lot of time in the dentist's office. At school Herbert did only half his homework and he answered only half the questions on his test. He learned only half of what he really needed to know. Herbert never finished his meals, so he was always half he was always hungry halfway between lunch and dinner. He woke up hungry halfway through the night. Herbert was tired for getting only half the food and rest that he needed. And when Herbert played soccer, he listened to only half of what his coach told him. He really tried Uh, during only half of the game, and Herbert would only... uh, He would have had more fun if he played with his whole heart, and his team would have been happier too. And one day when Herbert went out to play, he tied the laces on only one of his shoes. He walked halfway up a big hill, hopped on his bike, and started pedaling. He was going faster and faster when his shoelace got caught in the wheel. Herbert crashed straight into his dad's car. His bike was bent up, his leg was hurt, And his dad's car was dented in. Herbert knew he had made a mistake. When Herbert's dad saw the dent in his car, he asked, Herbert, do you know what happened to my car? Herbert didn't want to lie, but he didn't want to get in trouble either. So he said, I didn't see anyone crash into your car, but it was only half the truth. Then the phone rang. I was just calling to ask if Herbert's all right, said Mr. Rugg, Herbert's next door neighbor. I saw him crash his bike into your car this morning. And I thought he might have gotten hurt. Herbert tried to explain. I said I didn't see anyone crash into your car. And that's true. I had my eyes closed. Herbert, you tricked me, his dad said sadly. Only telling half the truth is a whole lie. And living your life just halfway isn't okay either. we have any halfway Herberts in the room? That probably hits most of us, right? Is your devotion to the Lord only halfway? That's why 1 Samuel is so important. 1 Samuel chapter 15 is important because of the problem of halfway devotion. Saul struggled with halfway devotion. And we can still struggle today with halfway devotion. We're going to once again see the unfaithfulness of King Saul. But his disobedience is probably in this category of subtle disobedience, okay? Like, when you look at King Saul's life, like, he wasn't this overt hater of God. Like, he wasn't this, like, uh, atheist who was, you know, just mad at God and then trying to convince everybody of of his atheism. He he wasn't this worshiper of false gods. Like, he wasn't making sacrifices to Moloch. Rather, his unfaithfulness was more subtle. His unfaithfulness is really similar to Adam and Eve's disobedience. But King Saul was only halfway devoted to God. You see, King Saul was devoted to God, but he was also devoted to himself. Like King Saul did fear the Lord, but he also feared other people who were around him. Like, like he wanted to check God's religious boxes, but but, but he but also really, really, really only to the degree when it benefited him. Like he wanted to glorify God, but we're going to see that he also wanted to glorify himself. He was a halfway Herbert. He was not a man after God's own heart, as David is going to be. He, he, we're going to see that, that halfway obedience is actually disobedience, and it leads to discipline. Again, this is why this chapter is so important. But, but this is really consistent with the entire story of King Saul, right? Like, like if you're new with us, this story is all about blindness, Okay. Like Saul and, the, and God's people were all blinded by the wisdom of the world. When they had a choice between the wisdom of God's word and the wisdom of the world, they chose the wisdom of the world. So when they had a, a problem, they looked for a human solution. And they looked to the wisdom of the world for that solution. They asked for an earthly king. And so God gave them an earthly king and he looked like a good king, okay? He looked the part. He was tall. He was handsome on the outside. But on the inside, something was off, something, something was not right. You see, King Saul himself was blinded by the wisdom of the world. He, he was constantly uh, listening to the wisdom of the world over the wisdom of the world. So he, so he would check religious boxes in order to look faithful on the outside, but it was always with conditions. There, there, there was always limitations and exceptions to his devotion. In other words, he was not a man after God's own heart. Today, as we finish the study of the life of King Saul, this, uh, you know, and maybe the gist of this chapter is, is that God is going to reject Saul. This is the moment where that happens. But but within the chapter, there's really kind of four turns. First off, there's going to be a call to devote yourself completely to the Word of God. And then number two, to devote yourself to obedience rather than sacrifice. And then number three, to fear divine discipline, but then hope in divine promises. And in the end, it's going to call halfway Herberts to repent of halfway obedience for the good news of complete devotion. And it is good news. But the first thing in these first nine verses, devote yourself completely to the Word of God. Look at me in the verse three verses. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that uh, Amalek did did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go strike down uh, Amalek and devote to destruction all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey." The Lord rebuked Saul in previous chapters. And here he's, he's going to remove his hand from him. He's going to discipline him. So this whole chapter is about divine discipline. But, but God is also remaining steadfast to his covenant promises. Both of those things are happening at the same time. So God is remaining faithful to his covenant promises in this kind of macro sense for all of his people, which Saul is part of that, but also specifically to Saul. But, but, but he's still, in this sense, patiently engaging Saul. In other words, he's giving Saul another chance. Again, like Adam and Eve. He, he, he's, he's giving him this opportunity to repent and live faithfully according to his word. However, he gave Saul a very hard word. What he gave him, the word of God here is harem. He's calling him to attack a, 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 a people And participate in warfare that is complete destruction. It's called harem. And so they were supposed to go in and just kill everybody and everything. This was the severest form of judgment that God could call down. Now to us, this is extreme to modern years, right? And I don't think that that's bad. But let me make a couple of points about what's going on here. First, you might have forgotten the Amalekites, but God has not. When God's people were vulnerable in the wilderness, when they were coming out of Egypt, the Amalekites came out to destroy them. This is Exodus 17. And in fact, it really took a miracle of God to preserve God's people in that attack. If you remember the story, you have Moses out there, and when when his arms were lifted up over the battle, the Israelites were winning. But then when he got tired and he dropped his arms, then the Amalekites were winning. And so what they did is they, they propped up his arms on these rocks in order to help Israel defeat the, the Amalekites. You, you probably forgot the story. But Exodus 17, 14 to 16 says, When the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to the ears of Joshua, that I may utterly blot out the, the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I reference that in order to make the point that God keeps his word. What God is doing here is he's keeping his word. He's keeping his covenant promises to bring justice to his people. God's a God of justice and God's a God of keeping His promises. But second, this is justice, okay? This is a moment of justice. There's been this corporate injustice and and God is addressing it corporately. And and that happens today still, right? Like like our country from its beginning has struggled with this sin of slavery and then the sin of racism. And and listen, to, to just set expectations here, we're better than we were. We're not where we should be yet. And, and our children are still going to be struggling with this issue, this issue when we're dead and gone. This is something that is just going to haunt our country, okay? We, we, we are still reckoning with the sin of slavery and racism in our country. I'll pick on Germany. Like, like Germany still has to reckon with what happened in the 1930s and the 1940s, Right? Most of those people were not alive then, they didn't participate in that, but there was this corporate thing that they have to wrestle with. Those those camps are still there and they need to be there for us to see them. Listen, if you're a Russian today, like you need to reckon with the fact that that your country is doing something evil in Ukraine. All that's really easy because it's out there, right? But but the, the church has to reckon with our history as well, right? When I first started in the ministry, and maybe this is a blunt way to, to, to engage somebody or share the gospel, but, you know, when guys meet each other, well, what do you do? What do you do? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And, the, and then that would start up these spiritual conversations, and, and I would, would be able to get to the gospel in those conversations. But now when I tell people, yeah, I'm a pastor, many times and increasingly so, people are kind of looking at me skeptically. They're, they're cynical about it. They're suspicious of me because I'm a pastor. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's because of things that other pastors have done and and other churches have done. And so those things are affecting all of us. So even as a church, we we have to push into these issues and and live a a different way and, and own the wrongs of the past. Again, Saul is running out of chances with God and God's word was a hard word. And God was calling Saul to bring harem justice upon the Amalekites. And King Saul was to completely destroy them. Okay, verse 4. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them and tell them, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when we came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Sur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agad, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Now, nod your head with me. Yes or no? Did Saul do all that the Lord commanded? No. He did not, did he? He he was not faithful. He was only partially obedient, right? Which is disobedience, right? So he was selective in his obedience in a self-serving way. Like this war, this harem war of destruction, it's divine judgment. From God's perspective, that's what's going on here. And what God's people have done here is they've turned it into a way for them to get wealthy. So, so under the guise of serving God, they have pursued material gain. So like halfway Herbert had to learn, halfway obedience is actually disobedience and it leads to discipline. So hear the call, devote yourself to completely to the word of God. Okay, the second movement is devote yourself to obedience rather than sacrifice. Look at verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel said to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowering of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have... Brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. And Samuel said to Saul stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him speak. Friends this is the moment. This is the moment where the heavy hand of discipline. Finally comes upon Saul. God is Always faithful to his promises. He promises never to ultimately forsake you. He told Joshua, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. However, he does discipline his people. And this is Saul's moment. This is Saul's discipline moment. And and, and we need to unpack it because we're going to be in similar moments. You could be in a similar moment. Where you've just compromised. There's been all this half devotion going on. And then it's going to catch up to you. And God's patience for you is going to run out. And He's going to discipline you. I want you to notice about five things in these verses. First, when we read that God regretted or that He grieved or He was sorry... That he made King Saul. We need to be careful to, to hear that, uh, that, that God doesn't change his mind as humans change their mind. Like, like he foreknows everything. He foreknew that, that, Saul, that the people would ask for this king. That, that Saul would be this imperfect king. That ultimately he would discipline God. Uh, that he would discipline King Saul. And he knew all that, yet he went down that, this path. And that highlights that God cares about the journey. Like, like he knew Saul would, would not be a man after God's own heart. That this would grieve God himself. But, but he steps into this journey, including disciplining. Further, the, the, the journey was not just for Saul. What God, what God is doing here is he's teaching his people through these scenarios. In other words, he's using Saul as a sermon illustration for all of us today. He steps into this journey, even the pain of it, in order to teach us something. He also wants us to see that he is patient and and he's an unconditionally loving God who keeps his promises, but he also wants us to see that he is an untamed lion who will not be mocked and he will not be bought and he will not be manipulated by his people. Do you see that there? You're not dealing with a tame God. This God can discipline. And friends, if there's anything that you walk away with today, I pray that you walk away with a healthy fear of divine discipline. But second notice that the prophet Samuel, he's going to do some very convictional prophet type things in a minute. But in this scene, we see his real pastoral heart. He doesn't like this. He stays up all night crying about this, praying to God for this. Like, like he had his doubts about Saul, but he also genuinely loved him. Friends, divine discipline is painful. Number three, notice that, that Paul erected this monument, but he erects it to himself. This is a clue to his heart, right? Like he thinks all that has happened here at the Amalekites, he thinks this is all great. Like this is something to celebrate. And, and further, he thinks like he should get the credit for the victory. So Saul's heart is off here. Number four, notice that, notice Saul's really slippery uh, greeting here. This is this is really cynical out of all of it. Like, like he politely and he respectfully greets the prophet. He pronounces these glorious blessings upon the prophet. Like it, it like if you're just in a fast read of this, like this looks impressive. But but look again at that, that greeting. Like, look at how many times he says, I. Like, when you get into the content of this, like, it seems really pious on the outside, but in reality, he's bragging about his obedience. We've all just agreed that he's not obedient. What, What I think he's doing here, and maybe you've done this, or maybe you've seen people do this, I think he's coming on strong in order to mask his disobedience. Like, I think he's coming on really strong with outer monuments, this, this lavish greeting with these words, and they're masking disobedience. And, and number five, the, the prophet prophetically just cuts through all the noise by referencing the noise. Like, there's this, there's this kind of beautiful, paradoxical thing in the response. The prophet's pretty quick on his feet. But he sees through the empty words to the bleeding animals, Saul's trying to sound good, but the animal sounds, they're the evidence of his disobedience. And they they just drown out his empty words, don't they? So the prophet cuts through the noise. Okay, 17 to 19. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, Devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So so the prophet accused the king of disobedience to God. This is a great example of a faithful prophet speaking truth to power, right? And, And he does it... I think in, in a personal way, maybe a beautiful way in a sense, that, that he speaks into the king's insecurities. He knows this man. He, he's speaking in many ways kind of softly and to his soul. But, but it's also very clearly. Saul was imperfect, but God still wanted to use him. He was small on the inside, but God made him a man of significance. So in this very personal way, in a clear way, the prophet spoke truth to power. God's word was clear. God's word had called for harem, but Saul had disobeyed. Saul had rejected God's word, and the king was guilty. Look at 20 and 21. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. First, he pleaded his innocence. And then second, he shifted blame. And then third, he played the religion card. Do you see that? Does this remind you of anybody? Reminds you of Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Right? Like, like this is this was kind of Adam and Eve's approach, right? But, but it's really reminiscent of how we respond too, right? So each of those three sections, earlier we all agreed that Saul did, did not do all that God had commanded. So, so what's going on here? Like, like, why is he claiming innocence? Like, we're looking at this and clearly seeing he's guilty. Why is he claiming innocence here? Well, I, I think a couple of things are going on. I, I think we've seen over and over in Saul's life, that he has a very shallow faith, right? Like, like his religion, it's really just a tool to get what he wanted. Like, like, he's willing to play fast and loose with God's word. He didn't really know God's word that well and he's willing to kind of play fast and loose with it he, he, he's the guy who kind of picks and chooses what he wants to believe okay like he'll, he'll just pick the red letters but, but not everything else so he, he's compromised in that way it was as if he felt giving God a, a token or a tip was enough can people do that today can, can people believe in only halfway obedience is sufficient obedience Do we need to name denominations on that point, right? Further, he shifted blame to the people. What's going on here? Why did he shift blame? We blame shift in order kind of to avoid the consequences, right? To avoid the discipline. But every time we do that, it really betrays this divided heart on the inside of us. We've seen in the past that he could struggle with fear of man over fear of God. But finally, this religion card. He, he tried to make the case that what he did was acceptable because he kept the best of the spoil for religious sacrifice. Do you see what he's doing there? What, like, what's going on there? Why did he think that that was a good excuse? Like, listen, this is, this is no different than, like, the gambling addict who, like, justifies his, his gambling, saying, well, but, but I'll tie it off of my winnings. Like, that's the exact same thing going on here, Right? Like, like Saul had cheapened his religion. He believed that he could buy God's favor. He believed that if he just checked the, the outer box of make, making religious sacrifice, th- then he didn't have to, to be fully obedient. As long as he did the outer religious dance, he didn't have to be devoted to, with his full heart. Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, As the, uh, as the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And here's the the key phrase. I think maybe the most important phrase in the entire book. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. The prophet explained that, that God would rather have a devoted heart than inauthentic religious sacrifices. Do you see that? You, you see what's going on here in this famous phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, obedience is the mark of a man after, God, after God's own heart. Do you see that? L- like, let's be honest. Like, we can all be pretty impolite on, on Sunday morning. And it'll look like you're, you're checking the religious box and then you just go live however you want Monday through Friday. That, that doesn't fool God. God's not mocked with that. He, he's not after just Sunday morning Christians. He, he doesn't care that you roll in and say Hail Mary's the right way and sit at the right time and stand at the right time and, and do all you know, these religious things correctly. Christianity is about total transformation. God wants a devoted soul on the inside Rather than just this this heartless religion on the outside. He wants all of you. Religious sacrifices are not substitutes for obedience. Do you see that? We can't buy our way into heaven. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. But King Saul is not obedient. Therefore, the Lord's prophet, he pronounces this divine discipline on the king. This is the moment. And Saul, he's still going to be part of God's covenant people. He's still within that experience and all those blessings. But, but as you go forward in the story, the, the Messiah is not going to come from his line. His line's not going to reign forever. His children are not going to be part of that. He's going to go down in history as someone who is blinded by the, by the light of the wisdom of the world. We've unpacked Saul, and we recognize in many ways he's a complex figure. But, but really, right, when you look at him thematically, he's a foolish figure, Right? Like he goes down in history as as this example of someone who is unfaithful. He's a sermon illustration about how not to do it. Friends, God would not be mocked. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Hear me, friends. Devote yourself to faithful obedience rather than religious sacrifices because halfway obedience is disobedience and it leads to discipline. Friends, we should all have a healthy fear of divine Discipline. Number three here, fear divine discipline. Look at verse 24 to 31. Saul said to Samuel, I I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of the people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back to Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. King Saul confessed that he, that he had this heart of sin. And more specifically, it was a heart that, that feared man over fearing God. So, so when God when he heard the voice of God, the word of God, and that conflicted with the word of man, he, he sided with man. This was the, the heart of his sin, and he, and he rightly understood it. I think it's important to see that, that he rightly understands his sin. Now, now that has brought up a debate among scholars. Was he genuinely repentant here? Like when people genuinely repent and turn, it begins by rightly understanding their sin. Or was it just that he got caught and he's trying to avoid the consequences? I I don't know the answer to that. And, And honestly, the answer doesn't matter. Because in both of those instances, you can still experience the discipline of God. The theme of God's Word continues to kind of thread its way through this story. And the reason for the discipline was was explained as for sin of rejecting God's Word. That's the sin here. God told you to go do this, and you didn't do it. He rejected God's Word. And rejecting God's Word is the result of a heart that fears man over fearing God. Friends, can that happen today? You bet it can, right? Can people fear men more than they fear God and thus reject God's word over man's word? Of course that's true. Therefore, we all need to be reminded today that God will not be mocked. We all need to be reminded of this tragic story that God disciplines. Halfway obedience is disobedience and it leads to discipline. And everyone here today needs to walk away, walk away from this building with a healthy fear of divine discipline. What what in your life does not align itself with God's word? Like, like, is there this corner of your heart that you just that you haven't submitted to God? Is there this little behavior that you're holding on to? Is there this little compromise? Is there this difficult struggle in your life that like keeps popping up over and over again? And you just want to give up and give in to it? And and, and then you compromise. Friend, God will not be mocked. God still disciplines fear divine discipline. But this is also not the end of the story. Hope and divine promises. Look at the final few verses. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless amongst the women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Geba of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king. Over Israel. I love a pastor with a sword. This is a great ending to the story. Right. This is a brute. Hard. Ending. I also just for the record. I giggle at Agad. Kind of skipping in there. Cheerfully. It's as if he's got his iced coffee. Everything is good. He got away with it. Things are going well with him. And then he met the buzzsaw Of the prophet and his sword. God didn't forget the sins of the Amalekites. Now listen, all that probably sounds crazy to the people of our age. And in fact, that probably sounds evil to the people of our age. You might be thinking, this is crazy, this is evil, unless you've played the victim. Unless you've played the victim. If you've ever been the victim, Isn't it good news that God is holy? Amen? Like, isn't it good news that God will make everything right? Like, when we sin, we want God to wink at that sin. But when somebody sins against us, we want that prophet and his sword, don't we? God doesn't wink at sin. He he satisfies justice. Blood is always shed. Listen, winking at sin, that doesn't work in the courtroom, right? That doesn't make victims whole. They need atonement. They need justice. They need a sword. And, And cosmically, it took Jesus shedding His blood on the cross in order to satisfy justice. That's what happened in ancient Egypt that day, that this old grizzled prophet took his sword, and shed blood to satisfy justice. But, but please hear me and hear what I'm saying. Isn't it good news that God is holy? You might have forgotten about the sins of the Amalekites. Saul might have forgotten about the sins of the Amalekites. But God did not forget. God is a God who keeps his promises. And that's the good news of this passage, that God is a promise keeper. He didn't forget Exodus 17. You probably forgot it, I certainly forgot it, Saul probably forgot it, but God didn't forget. He made a promise and he's going to keep it. And this chapter ends bluntly with this prophet taking a sword and hacking to death a king, but that is just the end of the chapter. It's the final bloody bookend of this story in the life of God's people, but it's not the end of the story. God is is a promise keeper. He made promises to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses and to Joshua. And here, even if they and Saul didn't keep their end of the deal, God keeps his end of the deal. Blood was shed and now salvation can come. This is just the gospel over and over. Friends, 1 Samuel 15 is filled with good news for halfway Herbert's. And and I think the good news is kind of in two parts, in two different categories. First off, the good news includes warnings. Be warned that God disciplines, therefore repent of halfway devotion and repent of blame shifting. Halfway devotion is when we give compromised devotion or conditional devotion or not complete devotion. Compromised devotion, it it might look good on the outside, but, but it's not complete at the heart level. There's these... Are there these hidden things that you need to turn from? I might not see it. Your wife might not see it. But be warned, God sees it. Conditional devotion is when we will follow God and His Word, but only with limits to the devotion. Like, are there areas of your life that you're telling God are off limits? Are there these little things in your life, even when it's difficult or even when it's countercultural, Will you devote yourself to him and his word in the areas of sexuality and politics and money? What about your me time? What about forgiving that person who sinned against you? But be warned about blame shifting in this passage. Blame shifting is when we do not own our end of the problem. We can easily blame others for our problems without admitting our contribution to it. We can, either, we can even blame God when we're struggling right people do that all the time this is God's fault God did this to me but Jesus died on the cross so that so that you could be forgiven and as a result of him dying on the cross and forgiving you 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 have the the freedom to fail to not be perfect it's it's covered there's no more condemnation and what that means is is that when you fail you can be open and honest about it you don't have to hide anymore like when you fail, you can be transparent about it, and as a result, you, you can grow from it. Own it so that you can grow from it. That's the the real foolishness of blame shifting. You don't grow from it. You don't you don't look more like Jesus as a result of it. But but this second category, the second good news category for Halfway Herberts, is that there's there's two callings here. Devote yourself completely to the Lord, and rest in His covenant promises. Complete devotion. It's all about doing all that God asks of you to do, even when it's hard and even when you don't want to do it. You're probably like me, and, I, and I'll put my cards on the table here. If, if I'm in, in Saul's shoes, I, I get it. Harem, that doesn't sound like something that I want to do. Roll into a city and kill everybody and everything. That, that's not something that, that I want to do, okay? You might not want to make disciples. You might not want to proclaim him. You might not want to regularly gather together or give generously or serve one another or deny yourself. But friends, please hear me. There's good news in all of those things. Complete devotion leads to joy and to happiness. It doesn't lead to a pain-free life, but that's where abundant life is found, when we're completely devoted to Him. When we're halfway Herberts like King Saul, that doesn't lead to abundant life. Compromise doesn't lead to abundance. Total devotion leads to abundance. Therefore, rest in His covenant promises. Rest in His covenant promises. It's all about trusting Him with your present based upon what you know about the future. So we submit to His Word today because we believe that we're going to experience joy for eternity as a result of it. In other words, it's worth it. It's worth it because He ensures you. It's worth it because He has guaranteed an inheritance. He has sealed you in. That's His promise to you. That's His covenant gospel promises to you. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says that, that God's grace energizes us to obey God's commands. Is that what His grace is doing? If you're using His grace to sin against Him, you're doing it wrong and God will not be mocked. Rather, His grace is meant to energize your obedience, not not your disobedience. Let the grace of His promises fuel your complete devotion. Repent of halfway obedience for the good news of complete devotion. Well, halfway, Herbert's dad sat him down, and here's what he said. Jesus doesn't want us to love Him halfway. God doesn't want us to live out Of just half our hearts. He tells us this in the Bible. But I've never been able to do things all the way. Cried Herbert. His dad said. God knows that none of us can love him. All the way by ourselves. So he gave us a friend called the Holy Spirit. To help us live out our whole hearts. Uh, Herbert's dad said. When we decide to, to follow Jesus all the way. God's spirit fills up our hearts. And helps us obey God. Can God's spirit help me? Herbert asked, yes, his dad answered. God loves when we ask for his help. So Herbert prayed, Jesus, I'm sorry I haven't obeyed. I I, want to follow you, but, but I don't want to follow you halfway. I need your help. Please give me your spirit so that I can know how to follow you. God answered Herbert's prayer. Now he finishes things. He ties both his shoes. He eats all his lunch. He listens to everything his teacher and his coach tell him. He also tries to obey when he reads the Bible. He isn't perfect, but God's Spirit helps him. Herbert has never been happier, and no one calls him halfway Herbert anymore. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Friends, God is holy. He's a roaring lion. And he will not be mocked, and he will not Be bought. Halfway obedience is disobedience. And He still disciplines today. But friends, God is also faithful to His covenant promises. He shed His blood on the cross. So He is faithful to bring justice. Again, He shed His blood on the cross so that He can be faithful to bring mercy. Halfway Herberts, let that, that covenant of mercy... Let it fuel you. Let it fuel you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this story. Such a sad story. Lord, may this not be our story. May our stories not be marked by halfway obedience. May the theme of our lives not not be that we just played it safe, that that we said we were a Christian, but but only in in the areas that that the culture accepted. May, may may, May we do the work of rooting out that compromise, rooting out that halfway obedience from our hearts and live totally devoted to you. Lord, help us do that. We can't do that on our own. But we do know that joy is found there. Thank you for being a, a promise-keeping God, including that promise of abundant life if we faithfully follow you. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray.